What episode is this? Is this nine? I think this is nine. Welcome to episode nine. Once again, three-peat guest of the podcast, Dane Iwata in the studio. Hello, By the hello. way, I say Iwata, and Simon said Iwata, I think. How do you say your last name? Iwata, Iwata. Doesn't really matter. Kind of growing up, I got the best of both things. I mean, if you're, if you're How do you asking, say it? Yeah, I'm asking how you say it. It's Iwata, like pronounced with the E instead okay. of an I. It's Iwata, but you so know. I was right. Uh, it's a Japanese thing. Yeah, I get it. But if you say Iwata, Iwata, I'm not going to hold it against you. I still respond the same. I appreciate that. Anytime. My last name gets mispronounced and misspelled and all sorts of things as well. And my thought is, as long as the bank cashes the check, I don't care how you say or spell it. But you mainly just go by the colonel, so. Yeah. And all my close friends and my wife, it's it's all, it's all the colonel. I had to introduce somebody today, um, somebody, uh, one of my friends uh, on the Frisbee team is going to be a tutor potentially for the school I work with. And in the introduction, I had to sign the email Colonel slash Sean because they the two people know me as different things, and I didn't want to cause confusion in there. That's awesome. But here we are podcasting again, and I think when we last podcasted, it was like before we had been to Michigan. It was like we, we did one just before NAB and one just after NAB, so that was like April, May-ish, um, and a lot has happened since then for you for me and for you and i together a lot of different things have happened so you almost make it sound like we're a couple i hope people catch on quickly that it's partially true yeah i I, I don't think there's (laughs) that's we're not misleading anyone we've we've i feel like i've gone on more trips with you this summer than i have with anyone else uh yeah i've spent more time out of town more nights out of town with you than i have with anyone else that's that's a true statement. I, I have spent more time in the car with you than anybody else. I, I keep trying to think. Okay, how how long is like Iowa away? How long is well two know, out? So, but we went to Michigan twice. So, so we went to Michigan twice, upper like northern Michigan, not Upper Peninsula, but northern Michigan. Yeah, um, and that's a nine and a half, ten hour drive, which we did twice, and then we we flew to Minneapolis and shot there, and. What else have we shot? Is that mostly it? I think so. Together, and then you know we've both been doing lots right. of other projects. But yeah, I think I think that was probably the last thing together. And then I think we have something possibly coming up in October. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. For the so moment. we've been doing a lot together. That I don't think that's being unfair to say. Yeah, I'd say that. But you personally had some things happen where you've still got your greens, but you're also full time in it doing video nonstop. It's just keeps coming at you. keeps coming at you. Right. Yeah. So, um, I still own two companies. You know, oh, sorry. Or I was I, still a, a co-founder of one prism three with, uh, David Pitt and, uh, and Bart hog, AKA Brett Hoy. Yeah. Uh, that's one T if you're listening, everyone. Um, I think, but yeah, and then still hear that greens. you had only said one T. Yeah. Like it sounded uh, like a one T. <laughs> um, but yeah, greens is more just like, it's what a wedding thing, you know, that's kind of how it's been the last, little bit and kind of like a lot of behind the scenes because i still post quite a bit on the the good old instagram my favorite social media yeah you got tons of those insta followers i i love the insta followers the insta insta fam um but aside from that but then yeah and then i recently took on um a full-time job at an agency that is near and dear to my heart called paradowski i've been doing work for them for almost four years now and then now um 
yeah, I've been with them for like four months, four months, five months, some somewhere in there for like full time. And you're which like is coordinating all their video production. Yeah. So currently I'm like a one man band there. So that's like a, a little bit of me and everyone else, but mainly me. It's kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm putting on kind of like my producer hat as well as a DP hat, as well as like kind of in-house photographer hat and um, editor and, you know, man of the fellow grip life and everything else that needs to be done. It's kind of interesting. Um, you know, there's maybe a couple of people there that, that do photo and video and can do like a little bit of, you know, premiere work or after effects or, you know, design Photoshop, all the other stuff. Um, but this is like this first, uh, like video role, I would say slash video slash photo role. You know, they, they mostly contract out, and hire um, like bigger production houses up till now, and then now they want to start shooting a lot more stuff internally. For um, I don't want to say smaller clients because it's still like business to business. Their clients are like huge because they're an ad agency. But at the same time, um, a lot of businesses nowadays, as you know, uh, can't afford humongous like you know hundred thousand dollar budgets or fifty thousand dollar budgets even. Yeah. But they can you know give either somewhere in between or somewhere under that, or when they want like a really quick turnaround or something, you know, and they say, oh, you know, I only have you know. 15 grand to spend or, you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever just depends. Um, because you know, all of that money doesn't just go directly to, you know, one person or something like that, you know, under, um, a either production house or an ad agency or any kind of team, you know, it gets kind of split up. And then, you know, the whole production is so vague because there's so many, uh, pre-production hours, production hours, post-production hours, you know, in between client emails and all these other things that, most people just don't even think about and they think, oh, $5,000 for a video, that's a lot of money. I'm a small business. But then what they don't realize is, well, I'm not just, you're not paying me for my showing up here for filming for six to eight hours and then editing for eight hours. You're also filming or you're also paying for, you know, all of these other things, as you well know. Yeah. I, I find there's people who understand that, like, when we show up, we're bringing, like, thirty to $40,000 worth of gear. We're bringing cameras, mics, audio recorders. And all of the expertise to run all that, and a lot of times, like, the lights and then batteries to operate. And one of the things that I found that is, is tough to explain is that when I'm coming to film something, I'm not just bringing the gear that I need to film that, but I'm also bringing a ton of stuff to, like, disaster-proof the shoot. Like, I'm not bringing the one microphone that I'm going to use. I'm bringing three microphones in case something... If one microphone, if we're windy and I need a different kind of mic, you know, like that's what we're being paid for is to problem solve, to be able to walk away with what we needed, to capture what we needed. And that's not just the gear that we end up using, but we're bringing redundancy. We're bringing all this different stuff. And so that's one of the things where, yeah, when people are like, well, I just need you to show up and, you know, shoot something for a half an hour. It's like, well, I'm also bringing with me a ton of stuff that you know beyond that half an hour do you need some more we, we can put that closer to you oh thanks i appreciate it um but yeah, yeah so, yeah, so I, I, get the game and I, I was talking to somebody last night about a, a video project that they want to do make a commercial and they were like how much does this cost and it's one of those questions where it's like i mean it's it's, it's not a joke but like how much you got and it's not that i want to it's not that the project is going to be the same you're just going to pay differently depending on, you know, what gets negotiated. It's depending on what you can afford that affects the quality and like the time that can go into it. And like, so 
it was somebody who wants to make a, a commercial and they were like, you know, what does this cost? And I'm like, well, there's a way you could do it for $1,200. I'm not that person, but you could find someone to make something that would check most of your boxes for $1,200. You could also find someone to do it for five grand and it's going to look a little better than that. It's probably going to sound a lot better. But then once you start it in like the 15 to 20,000, that's when it starts to be a little bit more polished. And I was like, then if you want to go 50 to 100, that's when you're going to look like a Super Bowl commercial. That's when it's going to be like polished and perfect. And so it can be done anywhere on that spectrum. It just comes down to what do you want it to look like? Uh, and it's not, it's not that like for $5,000, I'm going to make the video. But if you've got a budget of 25, I'm going to do the same thing. Just charge you 25. Like you get to bring in grips and other camera operators and DPs and creative layers and writing and art directors and stuff like that. And so that's what you're getting to do, essentially. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting because since this is like kind of like a, a newer position, um, you know, the agency has been around for a very, very long time, but they understand production. Like they've worked with, uh, you know, I'm not going to call any names in town, but they worked with a lot of bigger names in town, like a lot of them. And they've produced like amazing work. Um, but that being said, now is the point where, um, you know, with uh, with me on board as well as, you know, the freelancers I know, as well as um, the people that I'm in business currently with, um, you know, we can produce, I don't want to say uh, a superior uh, product. I want to say like a, either on lo- on the same kind of like level wavelength, like on par, like we can compete with some of the bigger guys in town, I would say. Um, not to be cocky, but to be, you know, we can hire who we want to do a good job. We can get, yeah. you know, we can rent whatever we need. And you can um, take your time producing it. And we can take our time. Yeah. So it, it just kind of depends. Like you were saying, you know, with a bigger budget, you can do a lot more, but with a smaller budget or a medium sized budget, you can do, you know, A, B, C, and D. Um, so yeah, it just kind of depends. And then, you know, everybody has their own specialties. You know, I wouldn't say, um, that, uh, a three man crew is like the best crew ever. But if you have, you know, at least a director or a DP and then somebody either to help lug around stuff or a producer to kind of do a little bit of everything like, yeah, it'll get done, but it'll be like way better if the director can focus on directing in the script and the DP can focus on the composition. And then, you know, you have an AC and a grip and a PA and, you know, a gaffer to, to focus on these other things. So that way, we're not wearing out the director and the DP from carrying around sandbags, you know, around the set. So, yeah, I do a lot of one man band stuff. And when I shoot interviews, a lot of times I get like, when I make proposals for people, if they have a, you know, budget restrictions, I explain like, yeah, we could do it with just me. And, you know, it'll probably take a little longer because I've got to set everything up my, uh, by myself. And I'm not complaining about that part, but when it comes time to actually press record and like I'm sitting in the chair asking the questions, like I've set up all the cameras and stuff, but for it to be a good interview, you need to maintain eye contact. You need to get like engaged with the person. And so you can't be checking focused. You can't be wearing headphones the whole time and like listening and monitoring sound and, and focus and lighting. And if, you know, the sun starts brightening up, you can't necessarily see how that's affecting the cameras. And so for me, that's the big thing of like, at least let me bring a camera op so that like if if we're doing it on a shoestring budget like having one extra person is going to make everything better but people don't understand that in the pre-production phase and they just see it as like well an extra you know thousand dollars or whatever to bring somebody else that it really does go a long way to these little intangible things to making the interview more authentic and more natural and 
and all that sort of stuff. And then a lot of times I have, and I'm going to play your card of not saying names, but I have a lot of times where like a marketing director or somebody wants to ask the questions when they want to sit there and do the interview. And it's one of the, it's a, it's a skill. It's not something like you can have a list of questions on a sheet that, you know, you need to ask for the video, but to have somebody sit there and read the questions isn't the same as somebody sitting there and doing an interview. And it's not just about like listening and asking follow-up questions, but like what you do with your body language while someone's talking affects how they say stuff, especially if it's not somebody who's like a rehearsed on-camera talent. Like when you're working with actual employees of a company, like a CEO or, you know, VPs and stuff like that, a lot of times they're uncomfortable on camera. And so it's the person you can't see on the camera, the person sitting next to the camera that goes such a long way to getting a good interview out of them. And if that person is distracted by having to also monitor camera settings and stuff like that, like you do lose something. Like I like watching Brett do interviews because he like, I feel like there's been times where I'm like, we need to do a cut or like, I want to tell him like, Hey, we've got like three minutes of, of, you know, before we need to take a break and I can't get his attention because he is dialed in 1000% into his conversation. Totally. And you can see that in the footage. Like these people are like, he makes people forget about the cameras and the lights and the microphone and like all the chaos surrounding them. For sure. And when you have these marketing directors like, well, I'll just ask the questions. Like, yeah, yeah it's going to be different. Yeah. And it, there is definitely a skill there for sure. Like, you know, a really good producer or season director um, versus, yeah, just somebody there, whether they're, you know, a designer or they're, you know, working for a marketing company or working for that company and they think that they know all the content, which they do, but yeah, sometimes it's a lot better if, you know, you have somebody that can uh, ask the questions, but they can also ask those kind of like follow-up questions and they won't like stomp on, you know, the other person's answer while they're responding. Um, and, you know, instead of just sticking to the script, like you're talking about those questions, actually like getting to know them a little better. And then also, yeah, making sure that they feel like they're talking to you instead of a wall, instead of someone just looking at their questions the entire time or their phone or whatever that it is. Um, yeah, Brett is very, very good at that. I have asked a ton of questions and handled a ton of interviews. And I, I will, I will say it's not my, my strong suit sitting there in the chair because I'd rather be checking focus, like you're saying, or, you know, scribbling down these notes as a, the script supervisor, or cause I, most of the time, you know, I'm doing the post-production, um, not as much anymore, but you know, when I, when I used to do that, I used to feel like, uh, this is kind of taken away from the interview and I understand that. But at the same time, I kind of, I'm trying to like remember and write down as many things as possible. And when you are on the shoestring budgets and doing it all yourself, I'm trying to be in the moment, but at the same time, I'm also trying to think about the edit and, you know, it's, it's super hard. So that's why, um, you know, within the past couple of years, I've evolved out of this kind of smaller production to, you know, I wouldn't say like large scale, like crazy Hollywood productions, but somewhere kind of in between. And I, I don't like going anywhere by myself. It's it sounds selfish, um, and maybe it's like more money to whoever it is. But even like shooting weddings, like I will never go anywhere and shoot anything by myself, like ever, ever again, unless it's like a destination wedding or something. Or I mean, there are budget restrictions, or if it's like something that I want to do, whether yeah, it's like a nonprofit, it's fun, that or, changes everything. It, it it yeah, it depends. But if it's like a company or a product or something that um, I know is either going to be one, either going to be a pain in the ass, or two. It's going to like have a lot of moving parts or a lot of other things happening. At least it'll be me and a producer or me and a copywriter or me and a grip or me and a director or, or, you know, something in between. And then on the, you know, on both sides of that, um, you know, if someone's like, oh, well, we're just going to send you and be like, no, 
you know, just, it, yeah, it's really it, hard to say no to people, but it's, you know, they don't, they don't understand that value. Yeah. And, and you hit on this before, but like when you bring along a, a DP and a director and a producer and like everyone has their own role, we're in this age right now and I'm absolutely a product of it. Um, and you sort of are, but you, you started at a bigger production house right like that was your first job you were yeah i started a studio um kind of like learned the ins and outs um worked there for a while and then uh decided it wasn't really for me uh just the kind of direction it was going i was i was getting really burnt out because i was a little overworked um but that's just kind of like the hustle and bustle of kind of like a the higher level up you know studio agency life of of things depending on like where you're at but that being said then i kind of went freelance and then kind of started my own thing and then you know, started working with a bunch of other production houses just as a contractor or as a freelancer. And then from there, kind of bigger and better. things. Yeah. So, so like the technology has gotten to a place where like 15 years ago, you couldn't be a one man band. Like just you couldn't carry all the lights and the cameras and the microphones and everything. Like everything was heavier. Everything was bigger. Um, everything was more fragile. And now the the technology has gotten to a place where you can be a one man band, and so many of of us, and I include myself in this. Like, yeah, my first production job was with CNN, and I, while I was you know a CNN video journalist, like I still was a one man band, and they just sort of gave me a camera and said, yeah, go, and that's how I record everything. But so all these people who are one man band people, and again, you started at a studio, but then. Then you did the one man band thing, and to get to a point where you can play these specific roles, when I can go to a shoot and I'm just the camera op, or when I can go to a shoot and I'm just the producer, or just the director, like it lets it's so liberating, and it's it's so it spoils you to be able to focus a thousand percent on one thing and, and to say like, well, I'm the director of photography. I don't care about where you put the microphone. I don't care about how it sounds or how you take care of that air conditioner and all that. I don't care about what they're saying. I'm here to make this gorgeous. And it lets you focus on the background and the balance of the exposure, and it lets you play with the light. And so that's what I love about these bigger shoots is it lets you get so much better because you only have one singular focus instead of I'm trying to simultaneously do light, audio, camera, as well as ask the questions and think about, you know, the editing and the post-production while it's going. Um, and so for me, I don't want to shoot stuff alone that just like you said, just because I know it's going to be so much better if everyone can play their own little part and make, make their little piece of the puzzle magic and perfect. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I'm at this kind of like stage or point in my career or life that I'm like, I don't want to try to do everything, worry about everything. I've done that. It's stressful. Like every single wedding, even if you're not the only one there, you're still thinking about a million other things. Um, and as, as much as I love shooting weddings, I think it'll, it'll phase out in the next couple of years or I'll go down drastically, you know, because before uh, accepting another full-time job, my kind of salary was shooting, you know, 30 to 40 weddings a year. And I was like, you know, you can see so far out in the distance, like see that paycheck coming. So it's just like, okay, I need to book so many, you know, weddings. So I know I can pay like all of my bills and then everything else is icing on the cake just because you can't, you can't expect that you're going to get this client or you're going to get this bid or, you know, you're going to get yeah. this budget. So to be able to, um, you know, adult, as they say, with jumbling, you know, house payment, car payment, student loans, you know, going out for a drink every once in a while or buying your burrito at Taco Bell, you know, you need money. So you need to, to kind of focus on all those other adulting type of things. Whereas most people that work at nine to five, they don't, 
they don't think about all those other things. And also for our profession, you know, if you either own your, it's a very loud car horn, a very long car horn too. Yikes. Still going. Anyways, okay. um, yeah, to, to own your own company or, or even, um, you know, collaborate with a, uh, a company or production house. Most of the time, um, you know, you're using your own gear. It's a very, unless it's like a really, really big production house where they own like a very nice set of lenses and a very expensive camera and lights and all this other stuff. Most of the time you're, they're charging or sorry, you're charging them for not only your time, but also like your rental package or, um, I would just say like camera and lenses Mm -hmm. and then like support, like tripod, mod pod, glad camera and drone, you know, whatever, whatever you own. Um, and that's super appealing to, um, rental houses or not, sorry, rental houses, but, um, production companies that are, you know, using you, um, but not only you, but you and your gear. So I think that's for like smaller people. Um, I shouldn't say smaller people, but for like people that own their own company, but don't, I, I shouldn't say like have like multiple partners, you know, cause there's mm-hmm. a lot of companies in town that are just one man bands or like partners. There might be like two or three people there. And it's really attractive to other bigger houses when they can hire out these smaller companies or these smaller brands that own their own gear. Cause they don't have to think about, Oh man, we have this budget, but we also can't go and rent for, you know, three other cameras and six lights and yeah. you know, all this support for this shoot. But you know, if we hire these guys, they have their own equipment and they can, they can bring their own equipment with them. And I think that's what these smaller, um, that's why I think these smaller guys are thriving and these big production houses are maybe, you know, I wouldn't say they're, they're taking a hit, but you know, they, they aren't probably aren't really accepting these like 15,000, $20,000 bids. You know, they're, they're going after like the big fish, like the big, big fish. Well that, and, and it's not a zero sum game of like, there's only X amount of video work. And now these smaller companies are getting a chunk of it. At the same time, everyone is realizing that they should be doing video. And so, like, the pool yeah, of it's crazy. video, like, with with the rise of, of YouTube and the, the ubiquity of broadband internet and streaming video, like, people are getting, like, hey, my company, yeah, we didn't do any video marketing in the 90s or even in the, you know, 20, 2000 uh, to 2010, but I know... Now I need to be making videos, even if it's for Facebook or YouTube or something like that. Like everyone has a video, you know, objective now. Totally. And so there's there's this room for people like me where, yeah, I'm not competing for a Nike contract. I'm not competing for, you know, Patagonia. But there's companies around St. Louis that weren't doing video work 15 years ago, but they're doing it now. And so that's how people like you and I got that. That's how we were supported for so long. Totally. Is because. It, people keep saying to me like, "Oh, this is such a cool time to be doing what you're doing." Like, this is the only time that this would have worked, where there's a, a demand yeah, for right. it, and there's the technology that enables me to do it without needing. A, like, yeah, there's an e- equipment investment, but there's not a five hundred thousand dollar equipment right. investment. Right. Like, you get a couple cameras, a couple good lights, and a couple good microphones, and you get pretty dangerous and do stuff for yep. people who are looking for that level of of production. It's a it's a really exciting time. We're we're just sorry we're like steering off. I'm going to go to my kind of like small timeline of history of uh, technology and why we are where we are now. But yeah, it's very exciting right now. Um, if you're like either getting into the industry or you're you've been in the industry because you know now that drones are like such a freaking huge hit within the past. I would say maybe like two years, it's like really gone crazy. But within like the past four or five years, like when they've started like rolling out, you know, DJI everything, 
Um, and then like right before that, when the uh, Free Fly movie came out, that was like crazy, like re- literally revolutionary. Um, and then now uh, there's so many com- other competitors. And I can't believe, you know, now that the DJI like Ronin S is out, you're like, oh, my gosh, small, like literally one hand gimbal operation. Um, you know, so it's it's really exciting for us. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago to get these crazy moving shots, you either had to get like a dolly track or you had to hire a Steadicam op, you know, or have master a glide cam, you know, but to, to fly these kind of bigger, more expensive cameras. Now we can do it. We're like way cheaper, not as many people. And, um, I mean, there is definitely still a need for Steadicam ops, you know, for movies and really high production budgets. And, um, I mean, it just kind of depends also, but there's a lot you can do. But there's before that point. So so much. Yeah. So it's 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 really, really nuts. Um just yesterday yeah. I shot for the second time. The the first time was with you in Michigan. Um and yesterday was the second one where I actually shot holding the the gimbal. I had the DJI Ronin uh M with my Sony on it. So a great camera floating, standing on the one wheel. And so like I, I had just gotten the one wheel before we went to Michigan and I was pretty shaky on it. Um, and so I got one shot just like following some people through the woods, but it's like this endless dolly shot that you couldn't get elsewhere. Like th- to get that shot two years ago would have required dolly track and a, and a dolly or yeah, a steady cam operator. Um, and the fact that I can stand on this, you know, for, for less than five grand, which is, I mean, that's a steady cam that's, but th- that's not even the dolly and all that sort of stuff. And so yesterday I shot, uh, it was a truck pulling out like with a big logo on the side of it and it's just driving along at a slow speed probably like 15 miles an hour it's like we, we did the shot where they're like pulling up to their destination but i have this long tracking shot which i got by myself standing on a one wheel holding the camera on a gimbal and it's like that wasn't possible two years ago that wasn't po- i mean it was hardly possible last year um but like now that like the one wheel's accessible and it's better and stronger and faster and the gimbals are awesome and so yeah there's stuff like that which i think is really cool which yeah and people that are are saying that uh yeah you could totally get that shot two years ago that would either been by like golf cart and or rickshaw or i mean that would just be like a bigger operation but yeah if you're by yourself yeah there's no way to get it by yourself yeah there's no way really to get it literally by yourself and also like you know you just jack the budget up by 30 grand to rent all these other things yeah um so it, it's yeah. been it's been fun to be innovative using the technology and stuff like that, um, but I want to pivot to the last part of our conversation because I don't know how long we've been rolling, but I might have a couple of questions too. Okay, depending on things and stuff. Oh, Simon Eisenbach says, "Does Sean actually sleep?" Sometimes I don't sleep well lately, but I do lay in bed most nights. I make it. I do that part of it pretty well. Um, I was going to say, so speaking of Simon, who's texting you, um, you went to DR Congo yeah, with Simon. Last year. So amazing. Did you go anywhere else with him? Or was that the only one? No. So we, so it was actually kind of, kind of interesting. Um, R- real quick before that. Yeah. So you've shot in DR Congo. Yep. You've shot in Haiti. Yep. Where else have you shot other than the United States? Uh, shot a wedding in the Dominican Republic. Okay. Shot in Canada. Um, for multiple clients, shot a wedding in Cancun, in Mexico. I think that's it. But as far as like overseas, overseas, it's been Haiti. I and mean, DR Congo. I mean, I've shot in Europe, but that was more for like personal right. stuff. But I made like a epic whatever video, crazy vlog. 
Yeah, it it wasn't really a vlog. It was more just like a yeah, a travel architecture. Yeah. Video. Yeah, I'm a sucker for like landscapes and slow-mo and good sunrise, sunset, time-lapse, whatever. Um like when Danny and I before we got married, I made this like really epic uh well, I, there's two of them. One is like basically a nonstop climbing epic thing of her climbing all over the world and all the places we've traveled. And then the other one was like a journey kind of thing with like the both of us in it um, before our same day for our wedding. But anyways, long story short, yeah, yeah. So mainly, yeah. So in Africa, in the uh, De- Democratic Republic of the Congo, as well as Uganda, we shot a little bit in Uganda, but mainly, mainly Congo. On that same trip? Um, on that same trip. Because okay. mm-hmm. we, we flew into um, Uganda, had a, had a layover there for like a day or a day and a half or something like that. How did and, you meet Simon. So actually, uh, long story, um, he actually at the the studio I used to work at, Simon had come into town, I guess, unrelated to anything and just wanted to um, come to the studio and meet the people and do like a small project or something like that. And then um, that's where I met him. And we we just like hung out for a second. We got drinks and um, started following each other on social media and stuff. And then we just kind of been kind of Facebook friends, Instagram friends ever since. And then one day hit me up and um he knows i shoot a lot of like action sports outdoor adventure you know so i like camping climbing that kind of stuff and he's like hey uh you want to go to africa and i was like uh tell me more um and it just everything kind of lined up and the first trip we were actually supposed to go there getting a visa there is the biggest pain ever it's so just to simplify the process real quick i won't go super in depth into it but um you have to take you have to physically mail your passport like you it's yeah, the, I just had to do that for Burkina Faso. So strange, right? You have to mail your passport to D.C., the um, uh, embassy in D.C., and then like reviews it there. And then they have to send something physically by mail to the country, to DR Congo. And then um, from Kinshasa, the capital in Congo, goes back to D.C., from D.C., goes back to you. And this all happens over normally, apparently, months or weeks or who knows what. And they were also on a... Um, a uh, holiday break during this time. Of course. So there yeah. was some weird like 14 days that like nobody was in the office, nobody like we couldn't get a hold of it. It was it was a nightmare. And um, your passport's just gone. Just it's just hanging out somewhere. So yeah. So we're uh hoping on these visas. We already have like all of our tickets booked everywhere. I fly into J- to uh I was gonna say JFK. I think I flew into LaGuardia and um Simon picks me up. He has family in New York so we go um, Simon lives in upstate New York. So we hang out in New York and then literally we have like bags are back ready to go. We're there for like a day to have her like waiting, waiting, waiting. And we find out our visas. We didn't get them in time to get to go. Uh, super frustrating. We're, we are literally in New York, like waiting to get on a plane like the next day or the day after or something like that. And then, so we're like, well, we have a, a couple of days, like, you know, what do we do? Um, what do you need to do? Do you want to go back to St. Louis? What do you want to do? I was like, well, I don't really have too much going on. I could just work from here. So I decided to stay stay in New York for a week. And Simon and I, we, we go into the city for like a day or two. And um, we just filmed this like epic kind of like vlog or New York cinema type of thing. Like we have all this gear. I was like, screw it. I'll bring like my glide cam and we'll bring the FS5 and we'll just go hang out in New York. And yeah. the weather was terrible. It was freezing cold. I remember it was just like... January, I think. And it, you packed for Africa. I had packed for Africa, so <laughs> I did not come prepared either. I had like my little lightweight Arcteryx jacket, I think, and maybe a rain jacket, but no down, no nothing. Actually, I think I had my down because I flew there and I was like, yeah, I'd have my down, but I was going to leave it there. But I'm glad at yeah. least I had that. But I had like jeans. I didn't have like, anything like warmer. I had like a couple pairs of tennis shoes. But yeah, so I just remember just being like, 
blizzard on the Brooklyn Bridge. But anyways, yeah, so we, I stayed there for for a little bit with him and then um, went up to Utica with him up upstate New York. We did like a small project there and then uh, and then I flew home. Did and you then... shoot stuff in shipping containers up there? We did. Yes, that's right. I remember this. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We sh- we uh, we shot for uh, things called the root farm or something like that. Where yeah, it's um, yeah, indoor farming with like those bright LEDs or for yeah. what it's called, sustainable farming or something like that, or container farming, whatever. But um, anyways, long story short, that's like a very long long story. It wasn't very short, but it was long. But anyways, yeah. And then we finally um, rebooked our flights, everything else for the spring, and actually, uh, shoot, is it April. March. It was it was like March or April when we went, and it was like 14 days. Uh, it was amazing, and yeah, I had to get lots of vaccinations. Uh, we finally got all of our passports back, all this other stuff, and then we flew from uh, JFK or LaGuardia, I forget which one, to Qatar. Um, or sorry, we flew Qatar to um, right outside uh, Saudi Arabia and whatnot. What what is it, that town that I can't think of the name? Anyways, we flew over there and then got a connecting flight from there to Uganda. And then Uganda, we had a layover and then a very, very small puddle jumper plane literally had to weigh ourselves, weigh everything that we owned in these bags, um, which we knew ahead of time um, how much weight we could take. And then um, after we got everybody on board that was going with us, we flew into DR, which was super stressful at the border at Bunia. Um, one, because they don't speak English at all. And two, they literally take every single item out of your bag and they're trying to char- find find ways to make money on you and find ways to charge you to get in there. Super stressful. Luckily, our pilot, uh, who was American, spoke some French and it was like trying to just relay as much information back and forth. Um, we had to put money down as a down payment to bring in our camera gear and stuff. And we would be assured we would get it back on the way out. And we, of did course, you get it. Spoiler alert. Did you get it back on the way out? Uh, spoiler alert. We got like one third or two thirds of it back. I forget what the price was, but I mean, it was, I mean, we knew that was kind of, kind of happen. It was kind of like shady and this and that. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was super stressful when we were there. Um, yeah. Well, I am going to Burkina Faso with Simon. Um, so Simon asked you if you could go to Burkina Faso and you can't because yeah. you've got other stuff going on. So you recommended me and it worked out. And I had met Simon and he and I, until we like talked the first time, had forgotten that we had met each other. But you oh, at NAB. introduced us uh, just via text or whatever. And then at NAB, like he and I got a beer together. And then like it was much later. I'm like, oh, wait. Simon, yeah, you're the guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, Sean. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's awesome. It's fun, funny, small world. Yeah. But so I've never been to Africa. I'm shooting in Africa. Um, and did you listen to his, uh, is it, oh, now I'm going to feel bad. Lens Pro to Go. He was on there. I, I saw uh, that. I saw the link. I have yet to premiere. listen listen to it. I've just been really slammed lately. But uh, I, yeah, I, I'm going to check it out. It's just a. Uh, he goes through sort of what, how he packs to film like completely remotely and stuff like that and how that's different than when you're doing something here um by the way can i borrow your red bag sure okay he told me to ask you to borrow your red bag because that will be a good bag oh i know what you're talking about yeah yeah yeah. okay <laughs> for sure we could we could chat more about this later no yes. let's do it on the you podcast could, you People could totally to know you could totally borrow the red bag yeah so um man yeah packing uh so now that i've i've been to um I would say the DR was a was a pain in the butt, but it's like uh, you know, um, I would say it's like an Americanized resort for tourists and whatnot. But uh, Haiti and uh, the DR getting in and out of customs 
and packing for not knowing like what you'll have access to as far as like power goes, um, clean water. Um, I mean, literally just a million, million things kind of up in the air and, and until you're there, then you're like, Oh, okay. Um, you learn, you learn super quick as to what goes and what doesn't go and how you're going to get your job done. Um, but I just remember in Africa, us a lot of late nights charging batteries and trying to decide which batteries to charge because we only had so much time before the solar panel kick the bucket literally like it would be charging all day and we would kill the power every single night because of all of our batteries that we had so um luckily i had uh, my ronin and simon had brought his or sorry simon brought his ronin i brought my glide cam because i was like well you know if that's one thing less that we have to charge then it's one thing less we have to charge and literally yeah. ran into that immediately and we also brought you know our two computers and all this other stuff and um we were like okay how much battery do you have? How much do you need to like charge your backup? Or it was this kind of um, very small mathematician type of uh, you're rationing electricity. Literally, it was um, yeah. But that was you know just one experience out in literally in the middle of nowhere, like very small plane to Nebobongo. Nebobongo, yeah, Nibobongo. north, um, super northeast Congo. I have the Congo on my arm. I was pointing to Sean. Yeah, super northeast Con- uh, Congo. Gotcha. And apparently this is also where a lot of like the child soldiers are and all this other kind of messed up stuff happening in the wild. But we can go into that later. But yeah, it was a it was one of the best um, experiences of my life for sure. I I would love to go back. Um, same with Haiti. I, I mean, just working with nonprofits in general, I love but experiencing like new cultures, all the people that are there working there, all the I mean, you know, it's just small things. Just yeah. as when he asked me. When when you said, hey, would you be interested in going before you even uh, recommended me, I had this like panic moment of like, I should say yes. I should say yes because I should say yes. And then I started thinking of all the reasons to say no. And there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's 100%. a lot of reasons to say no. There's not a ton of money in shooting for nonprofits. Getting there takes up so much of the budget that there's not, you know, it's not a lucrative thing by any means. Like the like the payment is the experience, um, but like there's actual you know risks of danger and and theft, and then there's risk of disease and you know whatever else. You're a target because you've got gear in a in a place that and you're white. Yeah, I, 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 just, sta- I stand you, literally. And, you're the minority now. It's it's the strangest feeling ever. Yeah, and I'm not saying that because um, you know to sound like first world westerner over here but it's very strange when you're you're so out of place because one nobody speaks english except for the the chief surgeon there uh jean-claude and two because um you're literally like most of the people that we encountered in the dr i mean maybe i shouldn't say most um anyways the small surrounding villages around it they've never even seen a camera for or a cell phone or like you know a white person it's like you're peter pan to to kids kind of thing like you're you're so that you know that everyone is so curious and it's not just the kids like when we flew the drone they couldn't like they were like what is this flying machine I, like I, I love the footage that i've seen i i loved yours but then i've also seen it in other similar situations of when there's you know drone footage of a village and it's just like the crowd below the drone is always like smiling and pointing and laughing and it's like this this elation but it's true wonderment and and i still get amazed as i was flying a drone yesterday inside a warehouse that that's a tiny little camera that i'm controlling wirelessly that is floating in the air and i can do whatever i want with it like it amazes me and so yeah to 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 bring this technology to a place where they haven't seen it before is 
entirely different and, and and yeah, it comes with a sense of responsibility. Um, but so I was saying like, there's a, a lot of reasons to say no, but I kept coming back to like, I'd list all my reasons of, you know, I could get sick. I could, you know, it, it could get robbed. I could, you know, lost like blah, blah, blah. But I have to say yes. Like I should say no because of this, 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 and this. But you got to say yes because it's going to Africa to film, and it's and yeah, like, it's an one hundred percent amazing, amazing yeah. experience. So, if Simon's listening and he makes it this far into the podcast, hey, thanks, man. I'm really stoked about it, and uh, thanks, Dane, for for throwing my name out. Yeah, of there. course. Yeah, this year is um, a really, really, really busy year for me. Um, but yeah, I, I had to turn down going to Africa, which. It's a really big bummer because I would love to go. And I also had to turn down going to Haiti, going back to Haiti this year. Hopefully I can go next year for this specific project because um, they're amazing too. Um, I'm sorry about the Haiti thing. I'm not as <laughs> sorry that you can't go to Africa because I get to instead. Yeah. No, man, it's, it's going to be amazing. Uh, I can't wait to, to hear your and Simon's travels. And, and Simon does a lot of um, nonprofit humanitarian work overseas. He's traveled like a ton. Him and his, his dad, his dad is a brilliant engineer. And um, yeah, it's like, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Doing. As he was talking, like they've been to Burkina Faso before. Like we're revisiting places where they've installed these water pumps, um, and we're telling the stories of those water pumps um, and how they've affected the the you know places that where they've installed them. And for my first trip to Africa, I couldn't think of a better group to go. Like, not only do they have experience traveling with gear, but to these specific locations, they know what to look for, what to expect, how to prepare and stuff like that. So I feel like as people who don't know, who I haven't told all the details to, but who I'm like, I'm going to Africa to film. They're like, well, be careful. Make sure you do this. I'm like, I'll be okay because I've got people who know all of that because right. they've done all of it. I, yeah, already. I love people's advice uh, when they don't know what they're talking about at all. And they're like, oh, I heard this or, you know, it's just... It's this weird mentality of, you know, people being scared or not knowing, like, what's going to happen on their side. But, um, yeah, my wife is not super psyched when I went to Africa or to Haiti or anywhere out of the country that, you know, yeah. <laughs> anywhere on the State Department's website where they're like, this, uh, there's always a warning for... <laughs> yeah, Burkina Faso, uh, the State Department status is reconsider travel. It is not restricted. Right. It is reconsider travel. Yeah, and, um, and, and, and a lot of... Um, parts of the world, there's tons of, uh, you know, things happening that we're not even seeing on mainstream media or, I mean, literally civil wars all the time and like so many things that just don't, don't make it out of, I would say the continent, you know, I mean, around the world, not Africa specifically, but when I was there just hearing all the stories and talking to, um, some of the people there and it's just, it's amazing, uh, growing up with what we have and, all these people like can't even, I mean, I think there's two people from the village that we were at that had been to the U S and, um, them just trying to either describe it to the people there or us trying to describe to people about like, you know, like a Walmart or like a home Depot or like traffic yeah. lights, um, overpasses, even... gas stations. Like these are all things that, um, we take for granted that we're like, whatever, but, um, <laughs> overpasses is hilarious because yeah, we don't have time to stop at an intersection, make them, <laughs> I'm going to go over them yeah they they were just uh amazed about all the all these things um and i was like it was like i was like uh you know what, what what was your favorite food when you visited what what was this what was that and they, they're like everything way we wanted to go somewhere new every day because you know you just can't get that there um i'm vegetarian so when i was there i ate a lot of rice and beans and plantains and and some eggs um 
And I mean, there though, like the regular diet is literally rice, beans, plantain. And then if you're wealthy or if you have a little bit of money, you might have a pig or a chicken or possibly a cow if you're like really, really wealthy. But um, in that, in that part, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, a whole different culture. Um, but also, you know, that's one, one small slice of the, the DRC that I saw in its surrounding areas. Um, cause we did have a land cruiser, but, um, there's literally, uh, I, I think two or three vehicles in the like hundred kilometers or however many miles that they, they serve there. So Jean-Claude always says, Oh yeah. When I hear a car, I know exactly whose car that is. Because there's only like two cars in this huge thing. Like everybody else there either goes by a motorbike or walks or bikes everywhere. And, you know, most of those people, they don't, you know, they can't visit a city. Yeah. You know, they can't just jump on a plane because it, it doesn't the bus exist. bus doesn't come by there. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. Well, I'm excited to go um, and and learn what I don't know that I don't know. Dude, you're gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and that's the kind of thing too when you have to like weigh every single thing or you have to think about every single item you're bringing. Like, okay, how many batteries do I actually need? Do I need six lenses or can I get by with three? I would okay. really like them to announce and release the A7S three before then so that I can get that and use the Z batteries. There you go. Because right now I'm bringing the A7 III with its Z batteries, and then I've got to bring 1,000 batteries for the A7S II. Yeah, um, And downside. I would like to use the same batteries, which I cannot currently do, but, yeah, that'd be nice. Word. Yeah. You said you had some questions. We'll move into the final phase of this podcast. Okay, yeah, so... Uh, lightning round. Lightning round. If you had one piece of gear, what would you buy? If I could only have one piece of gear, what would I buy? Uh, like, or uh, something, just something like you have a camera, you have lenses, you have, you know, whatever, but what's one piece of gear that you don't own right now that you would buy? One piece of gear that I don't own right now. I was just telling Jesse much to her, uh, relief that I think I have most of the gear. I, th I think like I've got stabilizer. I've got the one wheel. I've got great microphones, audio recorder. I've got, I, there's probably a few more lights that I would get. But I have decent enough lights now for most of what I do. Um, but I've got the Rhino. I've got almost everything. I would really say, like, I think there's some really, really good glass. Like, I know the the premise to this question was I have a camera and lenses, but I think there's better lenses that I would get. Um, yeah, I would get. No, I've got I've got a different answer. Okay, I want a Phantom Flex 4K. Oh God. All right. I want to I want to shoot 1000 frames per second. Wouldn't we all? I was watching that The Art of Flight. Is that what it's called? Amazing. Yeah, oh you, my gosh. You and I were watching that. I yeah, I turned you on and, to that on the way back from Michigan. Yeah, and, and Morgan, yeah. I started watching it again and like there's a few shots in there that I I'm guessing was a phantom or some other high-speed camera, but it looks almost like a photo. And it's them like jumping out of a helicopter and the shot is from like the ground. They're jumping toward the camera. And you can see the helicopter blades just slowly moving through the frame. And it's like that had to be shot at, you know, 900 frames a second or something like ridiculous. But the image out of it, like that, that's what I love about cinematography. Like, like when I take a shot, when, when I like if I'm shooting photos, it's the same thing. But especially with video, I want to capture something that you can't see that you wouldn't see normally. And so there, there's a few elements to that. But one 
is timing, either a time lapse where you're seeing something that you wouldn't see normally at normal speed or super slow motion where you can explore something that you wouldn't be able to experience without that camera and then the angles and stuff. Like, like that's what I love with photography. Like when I see people walk around and take photos, like when they're, you know, out at a bar or whatever, and they're with friends and they stand there and take a photo at eye level. Like that's how everyone was going to see it anyway. Like lower the camera a little bit, raise the camera up, like change the perspective and show someone something that they wouldn't see just walking around on their own. And that's what I think is really cool. So yeah, I would say one piece of gear would be a super, super, super slow-mo camera uh, to do some ridiculous time-free stuff and, and explore a moment where I wouldn't that might have been be an expensive investment. They're if only you, like a hundred thousand dollars. Even if you got that, though, you, then you would need so many terabytes of. Um, you literally have to wear what we, we call the cancer bag. We shouldn't, but um, it's literally a little backpack that you have media going to. You're literally carrying on a walking hard drive because you that for that to to buffer, you have to literally do an in and out point, and then it records right to the hard drive because it's so massive. Yeah. Anyways. So another side yeah. of it. What's your answer to the question? One piece of gear. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat. I have like a lot of stuff, but um, the one piece of gear, I think if I was going to either purchase something right now or I'd want something that keeps coming up a lot more, I would say in the past couple of years, but lately in the past couple of months, a lot, lot more is a director's monitor. Like I'd really, I don't know why I haven't pulled the trigger or we haven't pulled the trigger yet. Um, but we talk about it all the time, you know, so it was either, whether it's either renting or buying the only problem with renting though is because we're always like, oh yeah, we'll just rent that. We'll just rent that. And then it never gets rented because we're like, oh, you know, that's another, you know, either five hundred, six hundred dollars. I mean, depending on which level you get to, what Teradex system, or if you have another monitor or if you're running to an actual like production monitor, depending on the size and stuff. But yeah, Teradex system or something to um something Ooh. that I can either show for a uh, show by like a director or a client or to actually AC and focus pull something. Cause we yeah. already have like the Red Rock Micro with the, the thumb wheel or um, just as easy as like a re- just putting another monitor on the side of something for somebody to pull focus on like a doorway dolly or for someone to just just another monitor. It would be so nice uh, wireless video. Yeah, um, it would just come in handy so so easily. And um, you know, either for agencies or clients or directors, just to be able to instead of looking over the DP shoulder um, or whoever's behind the camera have a monitor so they can just see in real time what's happening and then and then that also goes both ways like for instance uh i was on a shoot really recently actually this past four days with uh, david in california and um if we would have had that we may have been slowed down a lot more because then people would be like oh can we try it this way or um oh what do you think about this instead of just letting the dp do his job which yeah you know so i I think it it comes with its pros and cons um or if you have like a really experienced director like they'll trust the dp and the boards and what's going on in the storyline but um you know david was shooting and editing this piece so he kind of knew exactly you know what he was getting what he got um and the creative director was a lot lot more hands-off which was great because i mean we got really, really good content. It's going to be an epic spot. Um, it's only a 30-second spot for uh, for TV, but, you know, we were there for, for two days filming with uh, two days of travel on each side of that and had a grip truck and all the, the bells and whistles. But, um, you know, the only thing we were, thing we were missing was a larger crew so we could move a little quicker here and there. But, hey, you know, for uh, some of these some of these things, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But, yeah, that was uh, – that's that. Man, I just love gear. When we were in that grip truck, I was like, I need one of these. <laughs> Even though it's so unrealistic. When I was talking to Simon earlier today about stuff for, uh, I forgot I was telling him 
um, again, another bombshell for the podcast audience, but I'm moving out of my studio at the end of the month. I've been here for, yeah, I know, right? Um, I'll give people a moment to collect themselves. <laughs> but I've been here for a little over two years, and it's been great. And I used to shoot in here all the time, like with clients, like I could, uh, you can see eye bolts where I would hang cables and I could hang backdrops and stuff like that. And so I'd shoot interviews and stuff in here. And I haven't shot in here in like a year and a half. Like it, it's been a while. I shoot everything on location and I'm traveling more and more. And so I've decided to stop paying for internet and air conditioning in this space that I'm at less and less and less. And I'm going to work out of my home, even though I'm now I'm gone most days, you know, filming on location at places. But he was saying like, yeah, and with that money, you know, you can, you know, start to save and do stuff like that. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to use that extra money to buy more gear. <laughs> that's that's what I do with extra money. 100%. It's called an investment, Jesse. I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. I hope my wife isn't listening because Hi, Danny. I literally do the same exact thing. Um, well, not all the time, but... You know, there's always, you're always like, oh, I, I'm done buying stuff. I have everything. But yeah. then, you, you know, I'm scrolling through B&H or I get all their emails about new stuff. And then it just gets me, my wheels turning. Or I talk to some other DP or grip or somebody else. And it's like, I can make my life easier on set. You know, so it's like, it's really weird. I'm like half and half. Like, um, I'm pretty sure I have like all the lenses I need and desire, even though it'd be nice to have this and that. But um, like you were saying earlier about like lights. Yeah, it'd, it'd be nice to have some some other lights or audio gear or you know, you never know when you need something until you use Did somebody you s- else's thing, and then you're like, I need that thing. Yeah. Did you see the new Aperture kit they just announced? I, I saw an email about it, but I haven't actually dove in because I've been too busy. Um, so they released a Mark II of the 120D, which oh, is that right, right. single I saw light. that at, at NAB they released that, But then at the same time, they also released this case. They collaborated with SKB cases, and so it's this custom-built case that has space for two of these uh, 120Ds and then one of their light panels and all the stands. So, like, they have this case, which is everything. Holds all your modifiers, so how your lights. big is this said case? It's a little smaller than my SKB case, I think, because it holds light stands and stuff. Um, it's smaller than that? Is it the same length? I believe it is shorter and just a little bit wider and, okay. and taller. But So I wonder how much that weighs, because, I mean, those those are... You know, it doesn't weigh a ton, but when you're putting in light stands and modifiers and light panels and all these other things, I mean, hopefully it's less than 50 pounds, so you're not going to get hit when you're you're traveling and yeah. checking the bag, but um, that's that's cool. Yeah. I for sure have to check that out. But I'll that's one of those things where it's like, thing. I have lights, I have stands, and yeah. I have cases that they fit in now, but if somebody's releasing this thing that combines all that for me, makes yeah. it easier, who am I? What fool would I be to say no to that? Totally. And I and I think too though, um, speaking about lights, the the last couple of uh bigger shoots that I've been on lately, we've been able to rent on location, either at a rental house or um well yeah, at a rental house of some kind. And uh you just get so spoiled from these nice big things, but then also at the same time you're like, Yeah, there's no way I'm traveling with this because this light panel or this Ari Sky panel, you know, it's like it's freaking huge. So yeah. there's no way I would actually travel with that. But yeah, like either Drake Cass or the, you know these light domes from from Aperture and whatnot. It's like a, a lot more manageable. Yeah, the fact that I mean, again, the technology that it's LED lighting, it's amazing and that it's durable and like I like and my, d- my old lights and non flickering well, yeah, like and you know, my high old CRI. lights were bulbs. And if you travel with a bulb, if you load a bulb in your car, every like 
it's yep. so fragile and those bulbs are expensive and totally. so it's so nice that these led things like you can throw them down a flight of steps and they'll be just as bright at the bottom as they were at the top yeah i'm not gonna do that with my stuff but um, yeah, no nah, i'm i'm not either i'm just saying you could 100 percent. it may happen accidentally do you have any other questions i don't think so um however um i was just gonna end with um giving a Shout out to David for being a, such a baller this week for on our shoot. It's been a long, a long, hard shoot week, and he's uh, finishing up a movie right now. I'm, I'm not going to say what it is because maybe he'll he'll come on a podcast sometime and talk about it. Um, but he's finishing up a couple projects, and then I hit him with another project that he has to do this weekend. So he's not getting any time off, and then we have a very early call time on Monday for a pickup day for the shoot. So yeah. Well, I can't think of a better way to say thank you than this sentence at the end of an hour-long podcast. I'll <laughs> <laughs> have to make it through to here. But, yeah. Thanks, David. And then also a uh, shout-out to Brett for holding down all this other editing. As, is that Brett with two Ts? That's Brett with one T. Oh, he just is, the one T. Okay. Yeah, Brett is holding down the editing for it for sure, and he knows what I'm talking about too, and client emails. He'll he'll know who I'm talking about once I... Sweet. So again, Brett, thank you for listening to all 57 minutes of this podcast to right. get to your thank you. But yeah, that's uh, those are my shout-outs for my wife holding down the fort and the two pups. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my shout-outs for the week. This was a healthy podcast. We'll have to do it again sometime. And hopefully we'll all be going to NAB. This year together. We chatted yeah. about it for like a brief minute. I also talked to Simon about it and he's in too. Um, so we just got to okay. figure out some lodging. Uh, but yeah, NAB could be a very big party this year. We're bringing the podcasting to NAB. We're going to podcast the whole thing nonstop live stream. In 4K. In 4K. <laughs> the Phantom <laughs> Phantom Flex the 4K. Phantom. We're live streaming at 900 frames per second. There's a market for it. <laughs> That's it. See you later, everybody. Both of you. Bye, Dave. Bye.